0: Welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. Sermon by Matt Carpenter on August 21st, Lord's Day Service. text this morning is Matthew chapter 11, Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30. We'll begin though and again read Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4 as we've been looking for several weeks at the meaning of Ephesians 6:4, Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Matthew 11, now verses 28 through 30. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all we've received through Christ, that we have been made partakers of your divine nature having escaped the corruption of the world through lust. Thank you that our Savior is the author and the finisher of our faith. We look to you now in faith, trusting that you will indeed accomplish all that you please. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Our tone of voice communicates as much as our words. While sometimes when we're reading scripture, we're not exactly sure of the tone Jesus might have used. His words in Matthew chapter 11 verses 28 through 30 are unmistakably gracious. Jesus calls all who are burdened, all who are weary to come to him. He invites them to take his yoke, his burden, to learn from him and find rest. This is the famous passage, not as well known as what led up to this passage. Earlier in Matthew 11, John the Baptist, having been in prison for faithfully standing against the sin of Herod, John sent his followers to Jesus asking him, are you really the Christ or should we look for another? Jesus, though, did not respond the way some of us might have responded. We know that if we as disciples, being a disciple is hard at times. And though we'll probably never be in the place of John, we can receive and do receive the response John did when we are in times of doubt. Because Jesus' response, if you read the entire chapter, it was not one of lashing out. He was not insulted by John, but he responded instead with tenderness, with admiration towards John. The one who questioned him publicly, I might add. Jesus said there's not been one greater born of woman than John. There's no coolness in his words, no irritation. The only irritation we see is towards those places like Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum who refused to repent after seeing the work of the kingdom for themselves. So Jesus said to John's followers, you go tell him what you've seen. You've seen the poor have the gospel preached to them. The lame are healed. The blind are made to see. Tell him this. Jesus gives, him ev- gives them evidence of his work. And then we see the end, the pinnacle of Jesus' words in these last three verses. These words throughout history have thawed the iciest of hearts. Who can read the the words of Jesus and say, yeah, he's too hard for me, he's too angry, I just don't like him. I, I couldn't follow a God like that. How many people have you heard say those words? You may be like John at times. If we're honest, most of us have times where we at least are tempted toward what John was and, and we are we struggle with doubt. But if the words of Jesus are true, and they are, who can really hear them and say, nope, that's not for me. I don't want any part of that. I'd rather keep this awesome burden that I have it's it's the good one so hearing what Jesus said now let's turn the mirror and I'll ask you a potentially uncomfortable question how many of you grew up in homes that mirror the words and tone of Jesus hopefully you could say yes But for many, the answer is no, I didn't. So why? What is it about Christian homes in many cases that we don't reflect what Jesus talks about? Sure, we can say the words, but the atmosphere... The tone is not one that lends itself to true growth. In 1978, historian and social critic Christopher Lash published a book that called for a defense of the family against the forces of liberalism, industrialism, capitalism, and social, uh, government social engineering. His title, though, is one of the most wonderful titles for what a family should be that I know of. It's called Haven in a Heartless World. But if all those forces that he talked about, all those isms were removed, would our homes be immediately better? It's a lot easier to blame all the problems outside the home than to fight against the dark vices of anger, envy, selfishness, and pride that decimate our homes from the inside. If our defense within our own walls fails, the outside forces have very easy work. Just knock over the empty shell that resembles a family and seize what remains. Take everything that's left. And this is something we see everywhere. But when households are walking in the strength of Christ, the principalities and powers have a real fight on their hands. It's a lot easier to knock over a cardboard cutout than it is a stone wall. The problem is most families are not stone walls because the the termites of sin have eaten out everything. Although much of what Christopher Lash feared from the outside has come true, the war is not over. As long as Jesus' promise in Matthew 11 remains, there is hope for you and your family." These verses are an invitation from Jesus to Christian paideia. Paideia is the Greek word that Paul uses when he says for fathers to raise your children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. It's one of the best summations of discipleship that I know of because Jesus says those who come to him are warmly welcomed. They participate in the learning, work, and rest of Christ and all the time under his gracious guidance. It's all included in those verses. When our homes resemble the paideia of Christ offered here, When we are fighting against sin while blessing, guiding, encouraging, and teaching our children, all with strength and humility, our kids will find home a very difficult place to abandon. It's not hard to turn loose of a place that you hate. It is hard to turn loose of a place that's been your strength, encouragement, and rock. So what is your home? How do we build a home like that? It begins with us, with parents. And also, though, by extension, it means also grandparents. And if you are not married and hope to get married, you start now even as one who is single. It begins with us receiving Jesus invitation as we learn from him and as we imitate his call to discipleship our homes are transformed to reflect the paideia of God this is a great deal Jesus says come to me and if you come to him he will transform not only you but he'll transform your home So no, I'm not going, I will not give you a seven step plan that if you work a little harder, tighten up your belt, get your bootstraps stronger, then maybe you, while you're struggling so much and you feel stressed, just tearing you apart, but maybe you at that point can have a good home. That's not this at all. The words are come, receive. You say, that's too good to be true. I can't do that doesn't it require me to do something else no that's what grace is this is the good news of the gospel Jesus says come and we come and we receive everything and we're transformed and our home is transformed so what can we learn from Jesus though about making our homes a haven of rest. We can see it here. A home that's a haven of rest. I am going to show four things that Jesus talks about in this passage. To begin with, number one, a home must be a welcoming place. It should be a welcoming place. As he says in the first part of verse 28 Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. Listen to the desire Jesus has for his people. He genuinely wants them to come. Is your home a welcoming place to your children? Do they sense, do they feel your delight in them? It's not enough to say, I like you, don't forget that. That's very edifying. But we do this stuff. We know the words. We know what we're supposed to say. I mean, I have even heard words to the effect of, my kids know that I love them because I've, I've enforced it to them. I'm not sure that that's the kind of love I really would be drawn to. They should feel this. Remember when our, what our heavenly father said in Zephaniah 317, when he said, the Lord your God in the midst of you the mighty one will save he will rejoice over you with gladness he will quiet you with his love he will rejoice over you with singing what kind of love is this that a father would just be so glad that you are his son now I understand i'm going to go ahead and check off all of my reformed calvinist boxes okay yes we are sinners we That is true, and we are born in sin, that is true. But I can also tell you this, the words of God to sinners who have come in to his house, those who are his children, his words are not, I'm going to like you if. If it's it's based on if, if it's I'm going to like you provided you do X, Y, and Z, and then we'll talk about it. None of us are going to make it, we don't stand a chance. Jesus didn't choose us because we were lovable. He chose us when we were not lovable. It's His love that makes us lovable. If you've never read and meditated on Zephaniah 317, please do. Just in your vertical relationship to God, please do because it will change the way you look at your heavenly father. If you don't feel and delight in your children, then that's something, yes, we should work towards changing that. Now, this does not mean, when I say that that home should be a welcoming place, it doesn't mean that we must welcome unrepentant sin. Yes, love does require, and I'll talk about this uh, a little bit more in, in a minute, love does require discipline. But your kids need to know that no matter what they've done, even like the prodigal son when he left his father didn't say you know what he was never actually really a part of my house anyway good riddance and maybe you won't come back that is not the picture we see the prodigal son's father yearned for his son do your kids have that confidence that you delight in them that way now, I will say there is a ditch on the other side, and this is one especially for moms here, okay? So, so it, it can apply to dads, but especially moms, hear, hear this. Delighting in your children does not mean trapping and smothering them and pretending that they like it. Now, I'm, I'm sure you know somebody else who does that. We all know those other people that we really pray for fervently, that they'll they'll stop doing that. But this is a danger. Sometimes we think that delight means a a chain, but a velvet-covered chain that we're going to keep, and we don't let them go out. No, that's not delight the goal of paideia is not to keep them in the goal is that they will grow in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and they will go out just like the promise to God's people is that they would not always remain in Jerusalem with the gospel, but that they would go out into Judea and to Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. The same way with our kids, we don't raise them so that they can be godly adults still living under our wonderful, gracious thumb. We raise them to send them out as faithful arrows, as warriors in God's kingdom. So that requires us yes to build the foundation to love them but also as they grow we trust them to God with the knowledge that the the home in which they were raised is welcoming. So parents here what do you do when you have little kids though? Are little kids always delightful? Do you always feel like welcoming them? Well, of course, the godly ones always feel like it, right? Now, it's a temptation, but this is the opportunity God has given us right now. Whatever age your kids are, but especially when they are young, give yourself to them. That's how they know you delight in them. You can say, I delight in you, but my phone is a lot more important. How do I know or how do you know? Because I spend four times as much time looking at this, doing this, or this, than I do actually looking at you in the eye. And they will follow whatever example you set before them. So they know your delight by the attention, by the time that you give. And sometimes they can't return anything to you except maybe a smile, or laugh but like Jesus we must welcome our children so Jesus words come to me that should be our words to our kids but second not only is home a place of welcome home is also a restful place he said come to me if you labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest that Greek word for rest Anapauso is one of my favorite words in all the New Testament. It isn't just you you, this is a place to sleep after a hard day. That word rest in Greek encompasses refreshment, restoration, and calm. It's the place where you come to be restored in body, mind, and spirit. Jesus promises that those who come to him will be refreshed. The world is a heartless place. There we experience pain, sorrow, and trials. But in contrast, our homes should reflect the rest and refreshment of Christ. Now, it'd be great if we could just snap our fingers, and, and everything's as it should be. This isn't Mary Poppins' world. Doesn't happen that way. Jesus had to die to provide our rest. So too, dads and moms, we have to sacrifice ourselves in our home every day for it to be a place of rest for Our children we don't like doing that we don't like having to sacrifice I want to have for for my home to be a place of rest so I want to come home and all the attention go to me at least as much attention as I want and then I can ask any attention I don't want I can quietly deflect it and then everyone says yes sir Yes, ma'am. Doesn't happen that way. Someone has to work. Someone has to give. Someone has to sacrifice for it to be that way. And so our our temptation is to, towards laziness. But laziness also has two ditches. One is neglecting to teach our children because it's too hard. We don't like teaching. We want to just chill. Have you ever said, okay, instead of asking, I'll I'll just admit, okay? I have said this long time ago, though, certainly it's long time ago, when I said, you know, sometimes I would like to have just a small break where no one needs me for anything. Now, okay, I've just confessed, okay? Hopefully you've not faced that temptation before, or you've not certainly not given into it, but the thought has crossed my mind. I'll put it like that. We don't feel like it's not natural to give ourselves to teaching because yes, teaching our children is hard. So laziness sometimes means I don't want to teach, but in order to If we don't teach, there will be no rest in your home. So, teaching means discipline. It means correction. Without the formational and correctional discipline, chaos will reign. We've all been in homes where there's no discipline. And... Those aren't fun places to be for anyone. Even your own kids want discipline in the home, despite the fact that they may say or act like they don't. They, all, they appreciate the fruit. So on one side, there's, there's the, the ditch of I don't want to do this. But on the other side, the other ditch is to treat our kids as if they are God's gift of free manual labor until they turn 18, in which case they grudgingly will leave the house because it's been awesome working for me all of these 16 years. Service is needed. Work is needed in the home. But Jesus never condemned his disciples for not serving him. He condemned them for not serving one another for not serving others. Being a dad and mom is hard work. But if you make your home a restful place, if you do do what's needed as parents to make your home a restful place, your kids will want to return. Third, home must be a place of wisdom. Jesus said, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. We receive Christ's yoke by learning from him. This learning begins with his teachings, and it is also modeled, though, in his work. Parents, single adults, grandparents, we should always be learning from Christ. And like Jesus, we should always be teaching. Sometimes use words, but you're always teaching with your actions. And even young adults, kids, teenagers especially, younger kids are looking at you. They are paying attention to what you do, they are trying to follow you. They want to imitate you the way you dress, the way you act, the words you say, what you think's good, what you think's not good. They're watching. So you are teaching, and you say, I didn't ask for this. This is the blessing of being in a church. The blessing of having siblings is they're learning from you. This goes along along with the previous point about our home being a place of rest. There are times when you will blow it. As all of us have, as parents, we all there are times when we just we sin, and everybody in the house knows we sin. hopefully the neighbors didn't know, but maybe they did that we sinned. But even when you sin, you are teaching how you have the opportunity to teach what confession and repentance looks like. Do you confess and repent with I'm sorry, but if you wouldn't do this, this, and this, this wouldn't have happened. I could have been godly if it were not for you. I mean, that's what, that, that's what you're saying. No, we teach our kids how to confess and repent when we sin. Or we teach them that confession and repentance is not needed when we sin. It's up to us. But even in those times, we are called to bestow wisdom like our meek and humble Savior who responds to us the way that he responded to John. John's impatient question, Jesus responded to that with love and encouragement. And sometimes it it gets long and it gets hard and you say, I don't have anything left. There is no wisdom in the bank. God never puts you in a place where you have nothing to give. He will give you grace at the very least to demonstrate what putting one foot in front of the other looking towards heaven looks like. So never stop planting the seeds of wisdom. Lastly, our homes should be a place of grace. Jesus said, I am gentle. I am meek and lowly and hard. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The yoke of Christ is not hard. Jesus does have a yoke, okay? He he doesn't say, come to me and you give me all the trouble that you have and then you can do whatever you want. No, there is responsibility as a disciple. But Jesus takes our heavier yoke from us. There's an exchange. We give him what we have. If you labor, if you're working, if you're toiling, if you're doing all these things, come to me, he says. The very picture, though, of a yoke is not just with one animal who bears it. A yoke is something borne by two animals. Jesus not only takes our burden from us, He not only gives us an easier burden in exchange, but he comes alongside and bears our burden with us. He gives us a lighter burden and he helps us. He bears it with us. He's like like the African missionary David Livingston. David Livingston I was talking recently to another missionary in Africa, and he reminded me of this. David Livingston, when he was in Africa, he was known to go to to, to the slave yards where slaves would be kept for for being sold. And Livingston would go to the slave yards, he would sneak in, he would break the yokes, and he would burn them. You could probably guess he was not a real popular guy with the locals but he was with the slaves. That's what Jesus does. Jesus broke your old yoke on the cross. He took the burden and he bore it himself. And now he calls you as his disciple, but he doesn't just say, that's the way you go. He says, come along with me. You come to me and we will walk this road. Parents, rarely do our children need heavier burdens, higher standards, more stiff expectations, and more rules. What they need is a place where they can flourish in the gifts God has given them. Where they are formed not according to our personal preferences and image, but where they are formed in the image of Christ. They need to be in a place where we are coming alongside and walking with them. Now this demands a relationship with them, not just dictation to them. Home should be a place of grace where we learn to walk free from the world and joyfully bear the cross together. Fathers, and mothers single adults and grandparents and even kids this invitation of jesus is not just to individuals it's good news for our homes and all who come in to our homes when we receive these words of jesus when we imitate and live out his Invitation, the the invitation of Christ before our families, our homes will also be havens of rest in a heartless world. Let's pray. Our Father and God, thank you for the good words, for the good news of Jesus. Thank you for making known to us his mercy and grant us to live and abide in the gospel. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com That's trinityreformedkirk.com